Hello and welcome to Journey into an Unknown World. I'm Dr. Margaret. Today I've chosen a topic that I think you might find interesting, which is to change your mind, to change your point of view. Over the years, I've met many people who get into routines, rituals, and justify and rationalize why they're doing the things they're doing. Yet, in spite of whatever they're believing, they're stuck in a rut. And I want you to just think about your life for a minute and ask yourself, are you doing the same things day in, day out? Now, of course, if you're employed, it may well be that you have to go to work nine to five, or you work five to seven in the morning or something, you know, uh, and then go off and do another job somewhere else and so on. But whatever it is, in some way, you are controlled by that routine, the need to be employed, and the need to be there a certain number of hours. So let's say you're working 40 hours a week and you're one of the more fortunate ones that you bring home a reasonable amount of money, then you're going to have to delegate that money. Some money goes to the rent, some money goes to pay for uh, shopping, and some goes for bills and so on. And by the end of all your hard work and by the end of all your payments, you end up with maybe hardly any money in the bank at all, and there you immediately step into worry. What if I lose my job? Then we won't be able to pay all these bills. Um, what if uh, I hate this job and I want to leave, but I can't because all this money will be missing, and then I won't be relied upon anymore. My family will hate me. I've let them down. I'm not doing all the things that they expect me to do, i.e. provide the money. So if you're a mother or a father, you're, you're pretty well tied down by that routine because you've got to feed those children and uh, make sure they get through their schooling and so on and so forth. And that in itself is very much an accepted way of thinking. If we go back to the 1950s, what we find over 60 years ago was the idea that father went to work, he made enough money to feed the family, pay the bills and so on, while mother stayed home, rearing children, sewing their clothes to save money, darning socks when there were holes in them to save money, going to the market to buy fresh food, buying as little as possible, but making it stretch as far as she could by adding a little bit more rice or a little bit more potato and so on. But in those days, there was a family unit. The family congregated together round the table. Mother would ask father, how has your day been? And dad would say, oh, so-and-so did such and such, and this and that happened. And everybody listened intently 
I would ask questions, how did he manage with the circumstances during that episode? Then he would say, well, how was your day, mother? And mother would say, well, you know, I got the kids off to school, Mrs. Jones up the road did something or other, Mr. Skuvinsky, he did something else, and uh, there was a upset between the pair of them and uh, we could all hear them shouting in the neighborhood uh, and people were looking out the window and looking to see what was going on and maybe they shouted down and the whole story comes out and the kids are sitting there eyes open wide going oh this is family occupation mom knows the news she's the news carrier i want to know all about that and, oh, I know the neighbors because I play with their children. We play on the landing, we play on the street, we run around, we enjoy ourselves, and then we're sent off to school, and, you know, school's over by two or three, and so then we're back home and mom has us help prepare dinner. We have to peel some potatoes, we have to scrape some carrots, we have to make a nice big pot of stew and that'll keep us warm through the winter. And when it's summer, oh, it's different. We now have to chop up veggies and put them into a raw dish because we're going to have something cold or she's going to cook something and then we'll eat it cold later. There wasn't necessarily a refrigerator. There wasn't necessarily anything to keep things cool. So we had to eat it the same day. So we weren't going to cook too much because if we had too much, it might go off and then we have to throw it away. Or will we? Maybe we'll give it to the dogs or the birds or something rather than waste it. Because yes, in those days, we did not want to waste a thing. Everything was used. If we take a leaf out of the Native Americans, they have been teaching this for thousands of years. If you kill an animal, you use all of it. If you have a crop and there's an abundance of it, you dry it out so that you can add water to it later and use it later. Well, we learned a lot from them. But unfortunately, we've forgotten. Yes, we've forgotten. Take a deep breath. I want you to ask yourself these questions. Can you sew? Did you learn it in school? Did Granny teach you if you can? Or did you just acquire the insight that this sounded good and watch a video? Did you teach yourself? If you did, pat yourself on the back. Because today, so many people do not bother to learn crafts. They rely on the people who can make the crafts to supply them with whatever it is they want. We hear about sweatshops in foreign countries. Why are they there? Have you ever stopped to ask yourself? It's simply that they're living as though it's 1950. They still know how to knit and sew. They still know 
how to make potions and lotions the old way. They still know how to keep things fresh for a day or so without using us. The modern world has caused us through technology to stop paying attention to how to survive day by day without complaining, but rather with appreciation of time, energy, effort, and rewards. I've written many books, talked about many things like this, given thousands of lectures all around the world on how to appreciate what you have. But more and more, I've been concerned that I'm meeting younger children today who when asked, can you knit and sew if they're girls, have responded with no, giggled, laughed and said, and I don't want to. What a shame. How many boys I've met that I've asked, do you know how to carve wood to make a model? Do you build planes out of kits? Do you do jigsaw puzzles? And they look at me as though I'm insane and say, no, I play video games all day because I want to win, get the highest number against my friends who are in their houses playing the same game. I'm concerned, I have to be honest, I am very concerned that in another 10 or 20 years there won't be any children in my country, America, who can use any of the crafts at all. I'm concerned that the countries where they have very little, where they depend on their crafts, depend on their skills, to market them abroad to people like us who don't bother. We can abuse them by asking for more and more and have them work harder and harder, making more and more as we live longer and demand more and more. Will that change? Maybe. Maybe those people who work so hard in sweatshops will rise up and develop a union in their countries and say no more. We have value in our skills. We are going to become the teachers to the world on how to do these things. Let's just be dramatic for a minute. What if there was a sudden virus that wiped out most of us? especially the poor countries where the sweatshops are, where people are no longer making our clothing, no longer canning our tuna fish, no longer providing us with cheap things in our 99 cent stores or our dollar or pound stores or whatever they are around the world. What would you do? Would you bother to learn how to survive by making things that you need? Would you bother to learn to sew yourself a dress? Would you bother 
to knit yourself a sweater when it gets cold. Would you bother to get the wool from the sheep and twiddle the yarn on a wheel? Would you bother to get a stone and water and sharpen it so that you have something to cut things with? You know, if we had a disaster on this planet, all these skills would be needed. So my question to you is, have you ever stopped to think about all the things you take for granted today, assuming they'll always be there? Again, I'm Dr. Margaret, and if you want to talk to me about things like this, you can write to me at Dr. Dr. Margaret, M-A-R-G-A-R-E-T-R-V-C, Rogers, Vancouver, my initials, at gmail.com. I'll repeat that, Dr. Margaret, R-V-C, at gmail.com. Would you like to know how to knit? Would you like to know how to sew if you're a girl? Would you like to know how to weave, how to make a basket? Would you like to know how to make a plaster of Paris model? Would you like to know how to be an inventor? All over the web are how-to videos. But I did a little bit of research and I noticed that most of the how-to videos and not watched. It's all sensationalism. A movie star did something. Let's watch that. A group of music musicians did something. Let's watch that. Or occasionally a very talented child. Let's watch that. All to do with stage performance, stage production, or someone that's promising you to make you a thousand dollars in five minutes. Let's try that. Stop. Ask yourself, why are you so focused on these kinds of things? Why aren't you focused on the skills, the talents that have been long forgotten? How to weave a blanket? Hmm. You might need one in the future, who knows? How to grow your own food in your backyard from seedlings? Have you a stock of seedlings just in case? And if you have them, how are you going to use them? How are you going to take care of them? How much shade, how much water do they need? Over the years, farmers have lost a lot of that ability with mega organizations controlling farming, especially around the world. We've forgotten. And most importantly, there are people out there who are producing plants for us to eat that do not go to seed. So how are we going to get seeds when there is a disaster? If there should be one of course. I'd like you to question your lifestyle, not because I want you to or because I'm trying to make you do it, but because I want you to want to do it. 
to explore your creativity. Talents are wonderful. They inspire us to try more and more. So if you already can sew, for example, embroidery, how could you expand that to make something more? Challenge yourself to make, shall we say, a suit and become a tailor, just for the fun of it. Because who knows, one day that might be a skill you'll need. I was fortunate when I was young. My granny taught me to knit, sew. I went to a school that taught us housekeeping, who taught us how to buy food and to know what is good food versus rotten food, how to ripen food in the sunlight, apples, pears, whatever, put them on the shelf, on the window, and let the sun shine through and warm them so that they were ready to eat by the next day. Yes, you buy them unripe. And yes, we do get food all the time that is unripe, but do you know that if you put an avocado in a sock, it will ripen? <laughs> Just little things like that that Granny knew. How to darn a sock. You have a sock in a hole that's so big, you need a mushroom holder to lay the hold over the top. And then to sew your needle backwards and forwards across that hole making sure that you make sound stitches and then to weave backwards and forwards through those lines that you've sewn to make a patch. Well, you might be on the street and you might be wearing a holy jacket. You don't have to be darning a sock. You could be darning any hole anywhere if you just knew how to do it. And in the same process of doing that, you can also do it with cane and make a tray. How can you cut wood and how can you use wood to make a container, a bowl, for you to eat something out of? I was watching alone on my television. These people were quite inventive in providing themselves with shelter, but in some cases they didn't hold out the weather. Could you build a shelter for yourself out of sticks and canes if you had to? There are many people around the world living in poverty. I went to India once. There were hotels that were called five-star hotels. This was back in 1979. And right next door was the hovel area where people were living under palm leaves held together with sticks, a kerosene lamp for light at night, and a toilet just outside their little space. Did it stink? Yes. Did the people mind? No. Because their idea of survival was just that. They had no ideas about improving their standards of life, their ways of making money. There were many countries like that going on in those years, and with the invention of a computer, Life got busy for them because they were the ones who could be worked for next to nothing. And they were the ones who produced things for us to take in the West, who would take them and use them and make them a part of our life. 
it became a habit, a routine, and something that was taken for granted. And still today, there are people who live like that. Are you happy about that? What do you think about it? Do you wish you could take their children and educate them? Well, you're not living in their country, so it seems impossible. But there are organizations that do take care of them. And your contributions in effort, clothing, whatever you have, can make a big difference to them. It's called sharing. I would like to suggest to you that you go through your house and you look at all the things that you have that you never use and ask yourself, I wonder who made that? I wonder what country it came from. It might be labeled, look if it is. And appreciate that somewhere someone made that for you. Treasure it, their effort in the way that they made it. Be grateful that they made it. And if you can in some way, search out the things that you don't need and give them to the goodwill that they can raise the money to at least help the people in our own country who do not have enough food, who do not have enough work, who do not know or even use any technical stuff. Yes, even in a Western world, in a Western country, there are people living who do not have enough every day of their life. So, giving that which you do not need to a goodwill, volunteer, organization, will help a great deal. And I will mention here that many of our soldiers who are abroad are sent packages, nice chocolate, things like that, and they are so great because they give it to the children of that country. They share what they have because they see the suffering. You might not be there, but know through their eyes as they try to bring peace to those countries. They see the poverty. They see the suffering. And they can do little but share whatever they have and protect those that are unable to protect themselves. But how much can that go on? How long is it that we will fight amongst ourselves for religions, ideas, philosophies, theology, different ways of looking at what is, after all, just one being, God? How can we learn to share our produce, learn to share our fuel, learn to share our status in life with others to bring us all into a form of education where we can rebuild this world. I would be open to your suggestions. So you can write to me, Dr. Margaret, rvc at gmail.com. And also, I would like to know your interests. So you can go to my website, www.sumaris.com. That's S for sugar, U, M for mother, A, R, I, S for sugar again, center, spelled American, dot com, or www.askdrmargaret. Okay, so now I'm putting a little 
bang on your head to say, get involved. If you let me know what you like, then I can teach you that, even if it's how to knit. If you'd like to learn spiritual matters with me, let me know exactly what kind of spiritual matters you would like to study. If you'd like to get well and you have health issues, let me know so that I can tell you how you can get yourself to feel better emotionally, mentally, physically and spiritually. If you'd like to help other people by telling me about someone who needs help from me, let me know because I'll help them. There are many people in your society who are listening to many different things. Ask them, what do they know? Who do they know? Who do you, you know who will help me? Ask, and we shall receive. That's what Jesus taught. And if you say, I don't know anyone, then get up, go out, bang on doors. That's what he said, knock on doors. And people will open that door, and they will say, who are you? And what are you doing? And you can share who you are, what you're doing, and what you're looking for. Years ago, in the 50s, the gypsies used to knock on my door with poses of violence. And while they were selling those, I'd ask them where they live and how many children they had and what they were doing. And according to the information they gave me, their penny or two penny bunch of violets was given a shilling old money because I knew it would feed their children more. So think about opening your door to someone, even if it's just to give them a meal and let them leave. Open your door to someone and teach them something that they didn't know. We are all teachers at heart. We all want to share the things we know and asking for help. Be humble, don't demand. Don't be aggressive and violent. It doesn't get you anywhere. Because who wants to be with someone who's angry? Curb your anger. Recognize you're in the situation you're in because of the way you believe and think. So when you meet people and you share whatever you have, recognize they're coming from a frustrated life. Be kind. Be gentle and bring out the kindness in them, their gentle soul. And if you are one who is receiving, be good in your heart and recognize to praise and thank the oneness and the person helping you. For what goes around comes around. No one is alone. And last but not least, when you pray, it doesn't have to be in a church. It doesn't have to be on your knees. All it has to be is a moment of being, a moment of acceptance that you are part of the oneness and part of this world, and that the world and the oneness are united in prayer. So when you ask in a neutral state, for example, God knows you are without food, without clothes, without work. Ask precisely and know that when you ask, things will follow. Here's my example. Father, 
I ask that you bring me wealth, good income, and happiness and joy. Thank you. Amen. You don't question whether God heard it or not, because God did. And his emissaries heard it too. And through the grapevine of the oneness, your message will be sent down to different people on earth who will somehow enter into your life as you make the move to change your life, to transform yourself into new ideas, new ways to be, and new things to do, getting you out of that rut into a new style of living. It's easy if you stop judging, if you stop justifying that you need to do the same old things over and over again. Appreciate your mind and understand that learning is easy. And on that note, I'm going to leave you to think about how you are going to learn to be a new you with a new attitude and a new style of living. It's up to you to change your life and let others come into that life to help you evolve and be a better person for it.